Welcome back, Blue Shirts fans, to episode number 49 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I am your host, John Chick. We have a special New Year's Eve edition of the podcast for you guys here today. Hope everybody has a great time on New Year's Eve and stays safe. And the Rangers, of course, are going to be back in action tonight in Edmonton at 9 p.m. Eastern time, looking for their third consecutive win to close out 2019. It's a big game for the Rangers. They're all big when you're chasing a playoff spot. They are facing an Edmonton Oilers team that has won just two games out of its last 10. And we'll preview that game a little bit if there's time at the end of this episode. But what I wanted to do today, and it's something that I mentioned yesterday, I wanted to do an episode on this, talk about some of the Rangers' Albatross contracts. There are some contracts on this team, and I should preface this whole thing by saying that I do overall like what the Rangers have done with this rebuild. You know, it, it, we've said this before, but it takes guts to just tear everything down and just start from scratch and look to build a championship from the foundation up, and that's what the Rangers have been doing. And for the most part, they've done some good things, trading for Sabanajad, trading for Adam Fox, trading for Ryan Strom, signing Artemi Panarin, drafting Philip Hedl, and it looks like, you know, Igor Shesterkin was quite the fourth-round steal. You know, we haven't seen him at the NHL level yet, but again, he's posting video game-like numbers in the minors. His goals against average is back under two. So, yeah, I mean, they've done a lot of really good things, but they've also given out some contracts over these last few seasons that really were even questionable at the time, and now, a few years later, in retrospect, they don't look too good. And they've done it at the expense of letting other players, you know, better players, more productive players leave in free agency or in in a trade in one of these fire sales that the Rangers have had near the deadline over the last two seasons. So we're going to talk about a, a couple of these big contracts that really, just to be frank, don't really seem to be paying off. And none of these players that I'm about to mention are worthless to the Rangers. I think they all bring something to the table. They're, they're not bad players. None of them are bad players. It's just that they're getting paid way too much for what they're giving you on a you know yearly basis or a, even just a daily basis this season. And we're going to start this. I, there's three big ones here, and I'm going to start with Brady Shea. And I hate to do this. Brady Shea seems like a swell fella, but I've never seen whatever it is that the Rangers see in Brady Shea. And I've tried to be positive about Brady Shea on this podcast, but I've, I've just never seen it. And in August of 2018, they gave Brady Shea, kind of out of nowhere, a six-year extension. And he is now signed through the 2023 to 2024 season at an average annual value of $5.25 million per season. And if you just go by average annual value, it makes Shea the sixth highest paid player on the Rangers behind Artemi Panarin, Henrik Lundqvist, Jacob Truba, Mark Stahl, more on him in a minute, and Mika Zibanejad. And I I don't know why. I've just never seen anything that Shea has done so incredibly well, at least on a consistent basis, that made the Rangers think that, oh my God, we have to keep Brady Shea. You know, I know we're trading away all these guys that have been such big contributors to this team and all these beloved players, but we just have to keep Brady Shea. Think about some of the players that the Rangers have shown the door in recent years who maybe could have been kept in the fold 
if the British Shea money went to them instead. And we're talking about guys like, you know, Matt Zuccarello. Like, we heard about this. Like, oh, well, we can't afford to re-sign Matt Zuccarello. We got to trade him. We, we He's got good value. We can get something for him. They trade Zuccarello. Or, oh, we got to move Ryan McDonough. You know, a couple of years ago, it was that. We had to move Ryan McDonough. Or we got to deal Dan Girardi. Or JT Miller. Or Kevin Hayes. And this is the guy that you kept, Brady Shea, over all those guys? You know, JT Miller is still young. Kevin Hayes is still young. Even Ryan McDonough is only 30 years old. He's been around for so long, you'd think he'd be older than that. But no, Ryan McDonough is just 30 years old. He plays the same position that Brady Shea plays. So I just, I, and I know Brady Shea, he's younger. You know, Brady Shea is 25, so he's quite a bit younger than McDonough. But Brady Shea, at no point in his career, has been as good of a player for the Rangers as Ryan McDonough was when when the Rangers were making all those deep playoff runs. I just don't know how you look at all those different players. And again, I know a lot of it has to do with trade value. You know, you were going to get, you should be able to get something for Zuccarello or a McDonough or a Girardi or a Miller or a Hayes. But all those guys, and you keep Brady Shea. That's hard to believe. That's hard to understand. Out of all those guys, that Brady Shea was the one guy you looked at and you deemed him irreplaceable. Like, yeah, we're going to do this big, massive rebuild, but Brady Shea must remain a Ranger. I don't get it. And I'm not someone who's just going to sit here and bash the Rangers just because they traded some players a way that I like. I mean, because I understand how the business works and I understand the reason why the Rangers made all those moves. They were looking to do, as we said, this massive teardown rebuild. But I also know that no matter how big of a rebuild that you undertake— you still have to keep a couple of guys in the fold. You're not going to trade your whole team. A couple of guys are going to get some extensions. They're going to be around long-term. And again, I, I just don't understand why, out of all those players that I mentioned, that, that Brady Shea was the one that just had to remain here. And again, I don't want to sit here and just say, oh, Brady Shea is lousy. Brady Shea can't do anything to help us. Brady Shea is this. Brady... None of that is true, okay? But what is true is that Brady Shea, at least as it stands right now, and he is just 25, it's possible he could improve as, as time goes on here. But Brady Shea, after, you know, showing some flashes early in his career, has basically just been over the past few seasons an average run-of-the-mill defenseman. And his play is kind of symbolic of the Rangers season. You know, it's just up and down and up and down. He's very inconsistent. There's times this season where I think Brady Shea has played some really good hockey. And I think pairing him back up with Jacob Truba has helped him out a little bit. But then there's times where he's out there and he turns the puck over and he makes foolish decisions. And it's like, has this guy ever played hockey before? And you can live with that if, if Brady Shea is like, you know, not getting paid a whole lot, and he's like, you know, your fifth or sixth defense, and you can live with a little bit of erratic play for somebody like that, but you're expecting more out of Brady Shea. You gave him a big contract. This guy is supposed to be one of your top one or two defense and on the team, and he just doesn't play with the kind of consistency that you need out of a top defenseman. You know, you need your top defenseman to show up every night. You look at guys, again, and I don't want to keep going back to this team, but it's kind of hard not to when, you know, they were making all these deep playoff runs and going to the Stanley Cup Finals, but you look at Dan Girardi and Ryan McDonough, when they were in their prime on the Rangers. You never had to worry about these guys. They were both solid as a rock back there. And again, you can live with some inconsistency from certain guys on the team, but when you've got Brady Shea, the Rangers, they're paying him like they expect more than that. They are paying him because they expect him to be a top-of-the-line defenseman every single night, and he just has not been that. There have been times where he's had good stretches of hockey, but the Rangers need more from Brady Shea, and I, I said that earlier this season. He had a really bad game against Ottawa, and I mentioned that. I still say the Rangers, based on what they're paying him and based on the fact that they chose this guy above so many other players to stick around and be in the fold long term, 
They need more out of Brady Shea. He needs to be better than this. And right now, I can't look at this and say that it was a good contract for the Rangers. He's been a healthy scratch at least once in each of the last two seasons since he signed this contract. A healthy scratch. Does that sound like a guy that absolutely needs to be a part of your franchise going forward? Not to me, it doesn't. And again, you know, I don't like it when people go on Twitter and they bash Brady Shea or they bash Mark Starr or they bash any other player on the Rangers, and I'm trying not to do that here. I'm just trying to be real and explain that I think that the Rangers clearly overpaid for Brady Shea. They put a little bit too much stock into Brady Shea because right now what the Rangers are doing with Shea is they are paying an average to above average defenseman like he's a star. And speaking of which, Mark Stahl. Stahl is still playing out a six-year, $34.2 million contract. It is set to expire after next season. And again, you know, I know Mark Stahl has had his moments with this franchise. I know he's played well at times, and I know he was a big part of some of those deep playoff runs that we love to talk about on here. And I'll never forget his game-winning goal against the Capitals. Game five in overtime, the Rangers were down three games to one, so that goal really kept the Rangers alive and set them on a path to erase a 3-1 to series deficit and knock off the Capitals. So he's had his moments. That was obviously one of the true career highlights for Stahl. And during those years, you know, it was Girardi, it was McDonough, it was Stahl. And, you know, you could maybe even throw Anton Strawman in there as well. Strawman's a guy that I don't think ever really got the credit that he deserved. Just a hard-nosed, tough player for the Rangers. Did a great job, and that that was a, a really solid foursome of defensemen right there. Girardi, Stahl, McDonough, and Strawman. And Stahl did his part, and he's been overall a good player for the Rangers. But again, you know, this is also a guy who, when he came into the league, was as hyped as any defenseman that really I can remember. And you look at, you know, he has, you know, the family pedigree. His two brothers were already in the league. The Rangers took him in the first round, number 12 overall in 2005. And he was supposed to be, you know, this big-time two-way defenseman that was just going to be a beast on both sides of the rink. And after a while, it becomes pretty apparent that, okay, offensively, this guy is just never really going to be much of anything. And defensively, you know, he's been good over the years. He's been good. I I can't make it out like he's a superstar player, but I also don't like it when I see fans bashing him and saying he's terrible and this and that, because he's not terrible. And this guy has worn his heart on his sleeve for this team. He has blocked God only knows how many shots. I mean, it was the block shots factory with Girardi and McDonough and Stahl back in the day. And, you know, Stahl, he's given a lot to this franchise. He suffered that nasty concussion. He came back from that. He continues to, you know, be you know, kind of the elder statesman on the team. And and that's where I think people miss the fact that he still has value to this team because everybody else on that Ranger blue line is 25 years old or younger. And Stahl, he's got the experience. He's got the playoff experience. He knows what it's like to play in New York. And that has some value. You know, it, it's it's important to have at least a couple veterans on the team. I know the Rangers are rebuilding and they've had this, they've been on this mission to get younger, but you got to have a few vets in there. And I think Stahl certainly gives you some value in that role. But I also think it's fair game to say that Mark Stahl has never quite lived up to this contract. And a lot of the things that I said about Shea apply for Stahl as well. Because again, you're the Rangers and you're shipping out all these players. You know, you're shipping out Girardi and McDonough and Miller and Zuccarello and everybody else that I mentioned. But you hang on to Mark Stahl. This is the guy that we need to keep here. This is the guy that we need to have here long term. And again... I just never saw whatever it is that the Rangers saw in this guy that made them think that this guy 
could and would be a superstar player. And he's not a bad player. You know, he's he's been he's been solid for the Rangers, and I think that the effort is there pretty much every night. But again, this is a guy who, like Brady Shea, did the same thing here. He's been a healthy scratch at times this season. And I know that Stahl is getting into the tail end of this contract. It was a six-year contract when he signed it. He is in year five of that contract. But nevertheless, I mean, when you give somebody that kind of money and you give them that many years and that kind of commitment, you sh- the idea of them being a healthy scratch should not even pop into your head if you're a coach. But Mark Stahl was not playing well or- earlier this season, and they had six defensemen, six, who were playing better than he was. And it was just a numbers game, and they they pulled him out of the lineup for three games, and it wasn't unwarranted because Stahl was really struggling. And when you sign somebody, whether it's Shea or whether it's Stahl, and you give them this many years and you give them this many dollars, the, the idea of them being a healthy scratch should be ludicrous. But with both of them, it's not ludicrous because there have been times where they just simply have not played well and they've forced the coach's hand and give Quinn some credit for not, you know, bowing to the contract and just putting the best team on the ice to win and not being afraid about hurting anybody's feelings. And again, you choose to keep Mark Stahl around, but you trade Ryan McDonough. I mean, Mark Stahl is the guy that you give the long-term extension to. Now, it's possible. Look, maybe Ryan McDonough wanted too much money from the Rangers. You know, it's hard to remember exactly what happened with all those contract negotiations. And I don't think we as fans ever really get the true full story of what goes on behind these closed doors during contract negotiations. But man, to keep Mark Stahl instead of Ryan McDonough, that's tough. And McDonough was the Rangers captain. And there was no point in either of their careers that Mark Stahl was a better player than Ryan McDonough. He just wasn't. And so I really feel like the Rangers whiffed when they essentially chose Stahl over McDonough to keep here long term. And as far as the age difference, you may not realize this because, again, it feels like McDonough's been around forever. It kind of feels that way with Stahl, too. But Stahl's 32, McDonough's 30, so McDonough's actually the younger player. So I can't understand what it was about Stahl that made the Rangers think that this was the guy to keep instead of Ryan McDonough. I never understood it then, and I certainly won't understand it going forward. I mean, it was never even close. McDonough was always the better player between the two of them throughout their tenures with the New York Rangers. And this is nothing new because the Rangers have made some bad decisions when it comes to defensemen over the years. And this has been a trend long since the current regime was in place. Uh, We might have to do an entirely separate episode to talk about that, to talk about some of the decisions that the Rangers have made with defensemen in terms of, you know, who they've given out long-term contracts to, who they've traded away. I mean, think about names. I I hate to cause anybody any nightmares and any flashbacks, but think about names like Tom Pody and Wade Redden. And then you've got guys that they either, you know, they let walk or they trade away and and then they bounce back or they continue to be good players. You know, guys like Keith Yandel. Yandel's another guy, never got enough credit for the Rangers. Good offensive defenseman, you know, sometimes maybe a little bit lacking in his own end, but good enough that you could live with it. You know, you could live with, you could exchange, you know, average defensive play for, you know, great play in the attacking zone. You know, he was an offensive defenseman. That's what he was. That's what he still is. He's still a good player. And then you've got guys like Kevin Shattenkirk, who were here for two years. The Rangers shell out big money to him to replace Keith Yandel. They could have had Keith Yandel for like less than half the money that they gave to Kevin Shattenkirk. But instead, they bring in Kevin Shattenkirk. He does nothing in two years, and then they send him away, and now he's having fairly nice bounce-back season with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And obviously, playing with all those skilled players does not hurt his cause. But yeah, I mean, it just seems like whatever the Rangers do with defensemen, it often backfires, whether it's whoever they hang on to, whoever they keep, whoever they reach out 
to trade for, or whoever they bring in with free agency, or whoever they let walk away. It just it, it's just this vicious cycle. We've basically been looking for the next Brian Leach for about I don't know twenty five years. Does that sound about right? Twenty years at least, and. I don't know. It's it's one of those things. Like I said, it's worthy of its own episode because if I start talking about all the defensemen and all the miscues that the Rangers have made with defensemen, we are going to be here all day and we got to move on. But let's stick with the defenseman theme. We got to talk about one more Ranger defenseman or more accurately, someone who at least used to be a defenseman. And that is Brendan Smith. Brendan Smith is in the second-to-last year of a four-year, $17.4 million contract that is an average annual value of $4.35 million. Now, that's not a staggering amount, but it is a solid chunk of change. First, a little history lesson as far as how Brendan Smith came to the Rangers and, and came into this big-money contract with the Rangers because, you know, I remember he came over via a midseason trade with the Detroit Red Wings, but I— did need a little bit of a refresher as far as how this contract came together and when he signed this contract. Now, again, as we said, Smith acquired by the Rangers in the middle of the 2016-2017 season. The Rangers sent a third-round pick in 2017 and a second-round pick in 2018 to the Red Wings in exchange for Smith. Now, that seemed a little steep, but you could at least understand where the Rangers were coming from because they were gearing up for another playoff run, and it's just a nice depth piece for the Rangers. It solidifies the blue line a little bit. Okay, great. Like I said, maybe a little bit of an overpayment, but if you really think that Brendan Smith is going to come in and be a difference maker and maybe you know key another run at the Stanley Cup championship, then okay. I can't fault them for doing that because, bottom line, they made their team better heading into the playoffs that season. That offseason, however, and, and Smith did okay that season. You know, I, I thought he was average, um, but not a guy that you need to lock up long-term, which, of course, is exactly what the Rangers did. That offseason, Smith was about to become a free agent, but he instead signs a four-year, $17.4 million contract with the Rangers, and if the price to acquire Smith seems steep, this seemed very steep. Because like I said, he was okay for that half season that he spent with the Rangers, you know, after the trade with the Red Wings. But I kind of figured at that time, as I'm sure a lot of you did, that this was just a rental. You know, this this isn't a guy who's going to become like a staple of the franchise. He's just here to give the team a little bit of a boost and strengthen their chances in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I never thought they would sign him long term, but they did. And again, it's the same thing. You know, it, it applies everything I said about Shea and Stahl kind of applies to Smith as well, because I just never felt like this front office looked at Brendan Smith and said, this is a guy we absolutely must hang on to, especially when you consider all the players that they sent out the door. And maybe part of it was that they wanted to justify the initial trade for Smith, because as I said, you know, the Rangers gave up a second round pick and a third round pick to get Smith. So maybe after they did that, the Rangers front office felt like, oh, God, now now we need to keep him around. We need to justify giving away those two draft picks. And that's exactly what they did. But Smith had only been here for a cup of coffee, and it was like, oh, now he's going to be a cornerstone of the franchise. What? I just never understood that move. And look, Brendan Smith, again, I don't, I don't want to kill any of these guys that I'm talking about on here. I'm just pointing out that they're a little bit overpaid. And Brendan Smith plays hard. He had some physicality to this team, and he was totally selfless in being willing to change positions because, again, he moved from defenseman to wing. But if we're being honest here, he's overpaid. And that was just another misstep by the Rangers when it comes to figuring out which players to extend long-term. And again, kudos to Brendan Smith for being willing to help out the team and change positions, but this is ridiculous. 
You signed this guy, presumably, to be a top four defenseman at the very least. And he's not even a defenseman anymore. Fourth line players are not supposed to be making $4.35 million per year. And by comparison, let's take a look at the other fourth line mainstays for the Rangers this year. You got Greg McKaig. He is on a one-year deal worth $750,000. And you've got Michael Haley, also on a one-year deal worth $700,000. Yeah, that's quite the difference. And in fact, I would love to know what other fourth line players in the NHL are making as much money as Brennan Smith. Is there anyone who's making as much money as Brennan Smith who plays predominantly on the fourth line? And I'm not talking about like somebody who, you know, is typically like a second line player, but he's not playing well recently and some random team, you know, sends him down to the fourth line to get him right. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about true blue bonafide fourth line players. And I know Brendan Smith, every once in a while, you know, they'll boost him up to the third line. Fine. But we all know that Brendan Smith is a fourth line player. Is there any other true fourth line forward in this league making anywhere near as much money as Brendan Smith? I don't think so. I don't see how there could be because the salary cap is tight in hockey and you just can't afford to shell out that kind of money to guys that aren't going to be on the ice that much. You need your fourth line players to be cost effective. And it's unfortunate that those guys don't get to make as much money as the superstars in the league. But unfortunately, that's just the nature of the business because, again, this salary cap is tight and not everybody gets to get paid like a superstar. And in order to manage the salary cap, you've got to sign guys on the cheap to play on the fourth line and just cross your fingers and hope that it works out and hope that they outperform their contracts. And for the Rangers to be shelling out $4.35 million to a fourth line wing, it's it's too much. It's too much. And this is not a good contract. And again, I say this as a guy who overall likes Brendan Smith, but this is far too much money to be paying to Brendan Smith. So those are the three players who I think really truly have albatross contracts for the Rangers. There's two more guys I'm going to give like kind of an honorable mention to here as far as, you know, being overpaid for right now for is what they're giving you this season. And I'm not going to talk quite as long about either of these two guys. The first one is Henrik Lundqvist. Now, hang on. Let me explain. I'm a huge Lundqvist fan, and anybody who's listened to this podcast, you know that. I have stood up for him many, many times this this season. You know, even though he's not having a career year, I, I still think he gives the Rangers a decent to good chance to win every time he's between the pipes. He has some hiccups every now and then, but what goalie doesn't? Now, the only reason I bring up Lundqvist is because he is at the tail end of a seven-year, $59.5 million contract. He will be a free agent after next season. And that was money well spent for many of those seasons. But this is how it works when you sign a superstar player to a long-term contract. If you're going to lock up a a true bona fide star in this league long-term, then you're going to have to do so knowing full well that the last few years of that contract may not be pretty. You You have to overpay to get somebody on your team for that many years. And that's just what we're seeing with Lundqvist. You know, he's in the second to last season of his contract. And he's, again, not having a career year. And I don't for two seconds believe that this was a bad contract when the Rangers gave it to Lundqvist because you need a goalie, man. And the Rangers have one of the absolute best goalies in hockey. He still was one of the absolute, truly elite goaltenders in this game when he signed the contract. It's just that, you know, it's getting to the tail end of the contract. And as what usually happens with superstars who sign these massive, big-money, long-term deals. Toward the end of the deal, it's not looking quite as pretty, and that's what you're getting with Lundqvist, and I don't fault him for that. He's 37 years old. He's doing the best he could. I don't fault the Rangers for that either, but there's going to be some serious money coming off of the books when Henrik Lundqvist becomes a free agent after next season. 
it is what it is, and in no way am I criticizing the Rangers for giving Lundqvist this big money contract, and in no way am I bashing Henrik Lundqvist here. I love the guy. He's one of my favorite Rangers of all time. But yeah, I mean, at this point, you know, he's the second highest paid player on this team as far as average annual value is concerned. And right now, fair game to say Lundqvist is not the second best player on the New York Rangers. But again, I I find no issue whatsoever with the Rangers giving Lundqvist this long-term deal when they gave it to him. And the only other guy that I wanted to mention as far as potentially overpaid Rangers is concerned is Jacob Truba. And the Rangers, of course, brought him in via a trade with the Winnipeg Jets. And as soon as they did that, they signed him to a seven-year, $56 million contract extension. In return, the Jets got Neil Pionk, and they actually got their original first-round pick in the 2019 NHL draft because the Rangers had previously acquired that pick from the Jets when they dealt Kevin Hayes to Winnipeg. So kind of an interesting situation there. And I hesitated to even include Truba on this list because overall, you know, I think he's had a pretty solid first season with the Rangers, a little bit up and down. He went through a really rough stretch at one point. He got off to that white-hot start, struggled for a while. I think he's been decent recently. But, man, that is a big contract. $8 million a year for a defenseman. And given the Rangers' history, which we briefly talked about a few minutes ago, as far as, you know, signing defensemen and and letting certain defensemen walk, I I really do kind of hold my breath here with Truba. But... It would also, I understand it would also be grossly unfair for me or really anyone else to call this a bad contract at this point. He's just sticking his toes in the water at this at this juncture. You know, he's only in the first half season of a seven-year deal. So I think we all need to withhold judgment when it comes to evaluating this contract. But man, that is a lot of years and a lot of dollars. And, and Truba, he's got his work cut out for him to live up to that contract. I still think he can do it. You know, I like his game. I like how he can chip in on both sides of the ice. You know, he was racking up assists earlier in the season, and he's a big physical presence in the Rangers' end of the ice. So I like Truba, but again, that is a big contract. And all of these big contracts that the Rangers have shelled out here to these aforementioned players, it could affect what they do going forward because there's a very tricky free agent class coming up for the Rangers. And there's a lot of questions about whether to hang on to these guys, sign them long-term, or trade them at the deadline. Those players include, obviously, Kreider. We did a whole episode on him. Tony D'Angelo is another, Ryan Strom is another, just to name a few. All those guys are free agents after the season. And these big money contracts of some of these other players who haven't quite lived up to those contracts, that could negatively impact the Rangers' ability to hang on to some of these players. So it's definitely worth talking about. And, you know, I hope I was fair here today because my intention wasn't to come on here and bash these players or bash the front office because by no means do I think that any of these these Ranger players who I believe are overpaid are worthless or terrible or anything like that. They're all decent players, but I just think that they're overpaid. And I've had a lot of praise for this front office while doing this show. Like we said, you know, the NHL salary cap is tight. It's just $81.5 million. In the NBA, the salary cap is $109.14 million. In the NFL, it's $188.2 million. In MLB, you have the luxury tax. And in 2020, that's going to be $208 million. So you get the idea. It's a low salary cap. And that makes it all the more critical that you make good decisions when you're handing out these contracts of any you know significant dollar amount and length. And for as many good moves as the Ranger front office has made during this rebuild, they've made some mistakes as well. And I, I just have to be fair here. You know, I've had a lot of praise for the front office, and we like to keep things positive on this show. But at some point, you know, we have to look at the other side of the coin as well because there have been a couple swings and misses here. It's only fair to look at it from both sides. So... 
That's going to do it for today, guys. Rangers, like we said, back in action at Edmonton tonight, looking for their third consecutive win to close out 2019. Have a happy new year. Enjoy yourself, but stay safe. And we will see you guys back here probably with a new episode tomorrow as well to talk a little bit about the game against the Edmonton Oilers. If you want to get in touch with this podcast, send an email to LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com and be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at L-O-N-Y Rangers. Once again, guys, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.